Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. Today we pick back up in our study through the Gospel of Mark called The Way of Jesus. We trust that you will receive just what you need from the Lord today. Thank you for joining us. Before uh, we get started with the text this morning, I just have to share something uh, with you. Last week, um, I was teaching on the parable that Jesus had of the fig tree, and I accidentally said pig tree in one of the services, and uh, there was this young lady in the service who made me a picture of a pig tree, so I just wanted to share that with you. So, life together, right? How many of you remember seeing these bumper stickers? You ever seen that? Here's a, here's a closer look at it here, right, on the cars. Question authority. This was really big in the early 90s during the Gulf War when everybody was questioning why we were going to war there. And so a lot of my friends in high school had these bumper stickers going along. And I just thought, like, this is a way for them to question the government. But if the statistics are right today, we've moved beyond questioning authority. We now have rejected authority, right? Everybody is sort of weary of things like government, businesses, corporations, and yes, even churches. So we're not only just questioning authority now, we're completely rejecting authority. But the truth is, whether you realize it or not, you do look to some sort of authority to guide your life. Something that drives you, something that rules your life. I would say for most people today, especially in America, that is yourself, right? I want to be my own authority. I don't want anybody to tell me what I'm supposed to do, who I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to live like. I want to be my own authority, and nobody can tell me otherwise. I am not going to surrender my individual rights to another person. And today, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark as a Church Family, a series we've called The Way of Jesus, we are going to ask this question of authority. To whom belongs all authority? Now, if you haven't been with us, we're making our way through Mark. It's going to take us two years, believe it or not, off and on. Uh, But it's been worth it because in this series, we are spending time with Jesus, learning how to live the way of Jesus. This is what we want as a church, right? We want to learn to live the way of Jesus in the places that he has given us. And today, if you're on your notes, the issue at stake is quite simple, but extremely difficult for many to come to terms with, including the people in our passage today, which is we can either reject or submit to the authority of Jesus. Now, if you were here last week, even if you weren't, we just looked at the story where Jesus comes into the temple and he basically cleans house there, right? And he returns today to the scene of the crime, so to speak. And the Jewish leaders are going to question Jesus, challenge him about his authority. So if you haven't already, I invite you, as we do every week, open up God's word, his scripture, and turn it to Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27. If you want to take a Bible from the seat underneath you there, please feel free to do that. You can find this on page 823 of those black Bibles. If you're visiting with us today, you don't own a Bible, love for you to take that home with you as our gift to you. Now, before we look at our specific text today, I just want to do a little recap of how we have seen Jesus' authority play out already in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, I would say authority is one of the main themes of Mark's gospel. For example, if you're following on your notes, Jesus has shown authority over nature. 
Some of you remember the story when the disciples are crossing the sea. Jesus decides this is a great time for me to take a nap. He lays down and all of a sudden this raging storm comes. The disciples are freaking out. They wake Jesus up and say, don't you even care about us? And he stands up and with one word, he just says, be still. And just like that. The sea is calmed. Talk about authority. Second, we've seen time and time again that Jesus had authority over evil spirits. In fact, part of the irony of Mark's gospel, do you know who recognizes and knows Jesus the best? It is the spirits. They know who he is and why he's come and he is able to cast out demons regularly in his ministry because he has authority. We see over and over again, Jesus has authority over sickness and disease. I love the story. I was just reading it a couple days ago again, right, of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. She basically just touches the edge of Jesus' cloak in faith. And at that moment, she is healed. I don't have this one on your notes, but you can write it there. Jesus had authority over sin. This one really bugged the religious leaders of the day, right? You remember the story where these four guys bring their friend to get healed by Jesus and they can't get in, so they make a hole in the roof. They drop him down and Jesus says to him, surprisingly, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders are like, oh, no, 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 no. There's only one person that has the right to forgive sins and that's God. Hmm. Jesus says, okay, just so you know that I do have the right to forgive sins, get up and walk. And the man walks out of the place. Authority over sin. Jesus had authority over impossible circumstances. We looked at the story where there's all these hungry people, probably 20,000 people who need a lunch. And the disciples say, send them away, Jesus. They can get their own lunch. And he says, no, I want you to feed them. Well, that's impossible. What do you have? I've got five loaves of bread and two fish. Cool, let's do it. And he feeds all these people. Sometimes, like us, right, we get to these impossible situations. But Jesus has authority even over those. We've seen that Jesus has authority in his teaching. I mean, this comes up again and again. The people are just like, huh, this guy teaches unlike anyone else we've heard. In Mark 1, it says, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority. And then finally, we've seen that Jesus has authority even over death. Again, in Mark 5, Jairus' daughter, he's on his way. The people tell Jesus, oh, she's dead. Don't worry about bothering the teacher. He doesn't need to come. He says to Jairus, hey, just have faith. He shows up. They're laughing at him because he says, oh, they're just a, she's just asleep. He says, just have faith. He goes in, raises this girl from the dead. And of course, we're not there yet, but I think you know that Jesus too had power over death when he raised from the grave. So Jesus has always had authority. The religious leaders have been following him this whole time. They've seen the things that he has done and he has been making the source of his authority extremely clear. Again, if you're on your notes, his authority comes from his father. This is specifically said two times in Mark's gospel. First at his baptism and then at his transfiguration. We hear this voice from heaven say, this is my son whom I love. And then what does the father say? Listen to him. Listen to him because he has my authority. Jesus demonstrates his authority again and again and again. This authority that was granted to him by his father. But in our story today, Jesus' authority is going to be questioned. 
by the most authoritative group in Israel. And he's going to force them to make a decision about his authority. And friends, I don't want to get too far ahead, but you can probably see where this is going. At some point in your life, you are going to go face to face with the decision about whether or not you will see Jesus as your authority in your life. But let's look at the text first, starting in verse 27. It says, They arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. These three groups make up what is called the Sanhedrin. Like I said, this was the most powerful group in Israel. They had power politically. They had power religiously. And one of their responsibilities, don't miss this, if you're following, the Sanhedrin investigated anyone who claimed to be sent by God. This was the power invested to them in the Old Testament. This group would go and find out, is this a real prophet? Is this person sent from God or are they a a false prophet? And so they're supposed to discern these things, which is why they're now having this conversation with Jesus. And so in verse 28, they ask him two questions. Can we read them out loud together on our notes there? It says, by what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? These things, right? Of course, they're now talking about what he did the day before. When he came into the temple and declared, my house, my house, authority, has become a den of robbers, right? It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. So they're like, dude, how do you have the authority to do that? It's it's really this question. By what right do you think you have? to come in here and to say these kinds of things and do these kinds of things. It's the classic, who do you think you are, all right? Verse 29, Jesus replied, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, pause, when it says John's baptism, it's talking about John's entire ministry. Everything that he did, everything that he said, right? What did he do? He called people to repent, He called people to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, all in preparation for who? For Jesus, for the Messiah that was coming, for the Lamb of God who would be slain for the sins of the world. So John's baptism, was it from heaven? In other words, out of reverence in these times, Jewish people would not say the name of God, Yahweh. They wouldn't say that out loud. So the idea is, was John's baptism from God or human origin? Tell me, classic rabbi stuff here, right? Turning a question into a question. You ever have a teacher like that? So annoying, right? Just answer my question. He's like, I'm going to ask you a question. Now, many people have thought like maybe Jesus is being evasive here. He doesn't really want to answer their question. I mean, at first glance, let's be honest, this seems a little strange. Why is he starting to talk about John the Baptist? What does John have to do at all with Jesus' authority? But Jesus' question here is pure genius. He is not being evasive. His argument is essentially this. If you want to know where I received authority to do these things, then tell me what you believe about John. Because if you're following on your notes, a decision about John is a decision about Jesus. What do I mean? Well, let's just be honest. If John's baptism was simply from men, like he was just some crazy prophet out in the wilderness eating locusts and honey, then they could simply dismiss everything that he claimed about Jesus and they would be justified 
and saying, Jesus, you have no authority in this place, in this realm. If John had no authority and was not sent from God, then neither did Jesus. But if John's baptism, if they would say John's baptism was from heaven, it came from the Lord, that is, it was divinely inspired, then his message must be listened to and applied. And what was his message? Jesus, Messiah, Savior, Lord, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, the perfect sacrifice, as we talked about last week. He is the fulfillment of the temple, the new temple built in his body, the temple that the curtain was torn in two so that we could have access to God now and forever. So Jesus just puts them in one of these classic, darned if I do, darned if I don't situations. He's a brilliant, right? It's like when your wife asks you, which dress do you like better? They already have an answer. They already know what you're supposed to say in that moment. So you're darned if you do, and you're darned if you don't. And then the next verse is kind of explains their dilemma. They kind of huddle up in a little group, and they're like, they discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people. For everyone held that John was a prophet. Do you see their dilemma? First, they could say John the Baptist was from heaven. But to say that would validate everything that he said, everything that he did, and everything that he said and did ultimately pointed to Jesus. God had sent him to speak all of these things, but they realize if you're following, to validate John would validate Jesus' authority as Messiah. Everything Jesus said and did proved this already. He was the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. He has demonstrated again and again that he had been sent from God, that he had authority to cast out demons, to forgive sin, to heal diseases, to calm nature down. And the religious leaders had seen this. They've seen it with their own eyes. But they had already made up their minds about him. They believed he was not sent from God. He was sent from Satan. They believed that this authority he was given was not from the Father. They hated that Jesus called him that, by the way, my Father. (laughs) He's a crazy guy. He's a lunatic. He's claiming these things. And the reason they deny all this is because Jesus never fit into the religious system that they had created. Jesus just didn't fit with what they wanted. You see, they're the ones that created the very system they were living under right now. And they don't want anybody coming in and disrupting that. Really, the heart of this is something we would call pride. They did not want to see. They did not want to submit to Jesus because it would mean they'd have to give up their pride. They'd made up their minds, even though he is fulfilling all these Old Testament prophecies that they had memorized, They had seen the miracles. They had heard Jesus' teaching. They had all the evidence they needed in front of them. But they, as Jesus likes to say, didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear. It reminds me back, way back, right, when people argued the earth is flat. The first person to prove that it isn't was a guy named Erasmus. I probably said that wrong and butchered it. Somebody's going to come up to me after. That's fine. Not a science nerd. But this guy basically had this 
thing he did that showed the earth is actually round. And people are like, bah, I don't believe your evidence. That continued on, right, with Pythagoras. He then proved, too, the earth is round. Ah, that's not true. Finally, Magellan sails around the world, like around the world. Did people still believe it? No. They had all this evidence, but their pride, their former beliefs, so to speak, held them from truly believing that. Now, on the flip side, you could say John the Baptist's ministry was a human invention. He was not from God. He's this crazy false prophet. Therefore, everything that John said about Jesus, right, and repentance and the kingdom of God, all of that is simply something we can dismiss. It's made up nonsense. But from the Sanhedrin's perspective, that created a different dilemma. Do you see it here? They were afraid of what the people would do. The Bible talks about this often, fear of man, fear of what others might think about us, influencing our decisions for Christ. Internally here, the Sanhedrin are more concerned about their popularity, their prestige, their position than they are about the truth. If you're following on your notes, to reject John would cost them the favor of the crowd. And so they do what many people do, what I've done many times, right? They reject the truth because of the fear of man, of what people would say and do. They reject Jesus, because of fear of losing their position and their power, their authority. Like some of us still today, they reject Jesus because of their fear of what faith in Christ will cost them. Socially, financially, relationally, or name it. They're basically like many people today who say, I like my life, stay out of it. I want to live my own way. I want to live my own life. And so they choose the third option. As the rest of verse 33 says, so they answered Jesus, we don't know. Cop out. Total cop out. It reminds me, sorry Cardinals fans. It reminds me of Mark McGuire standing before the congressional hearing pleading the fifth about whether or not he took steroids. Come on. We don't know. Now just notice the sad irony here. Remember what I said about the Sanhedrin? You have it on your notes. What was one of their primary jobs? To discern whether or not a prophet had come from God. So by saying, we don't know, what are they saying? We don't have any ability to discern spiritual truth. We really aren't as authoritative as we make ourselves out to be. I mean, how can they shepherd God's flock if they can't even discern God's will? But because of fear and pride, they know this is the only way out of our dilemma. We don't know. We don't know. What a lie. Motivated by the fear of man. We don't know. What a lie to try to protect their position because of pride. They had seen all the evidence. But they'd made up their mind. And so if you're following, they claim ignorance out of pride and fear. Listen, if this confrontation between Jesus and the Sanhedrin here was a game of chess, Jesus is like, checkmate, guys. Checkmate. Your unwillingness to answer this question is showing that you really have no authority over me. So the rest of verse 33, Jesus closes with this. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Listen, you guys aren't really interested in knowing the truth. 
You already have seen it right in front of you. So I'm not going to answer your question. And the same is still today, right? Jesus will not commit himself to somebody who won't commit themselves first to him. And I love this, right? Jesus is never going to force himself on you. He will never force himself on you. He will invite you to know him as the authority of your life, but he will not make you submit to that authority. And friends, this is where we get to start applying this to ourselves. Just as Jesus' answer to the Sanhedrin is determined by the Sanhedrin's response to him, Jesus' response to you is going to be determined by your response to him. Now, I'm going to bet if some of you have been coming to church for any length of time, you've probably heard the gospel before. The good news, we call it. The good news that Jesus is God who came to earth to offer up his life for the sacrifice of sin. And those who believe in that, who receive this free gift, are forgiven and have life both now and forevermore. This is the good news of Jesus, that someday he will return and he will be king now and forever. The question is, Have you recognized that authority, that he is the king? Or like the religious leaders, are you rejecting it out of fear and pride? I just got to say, for so many people, the issue is not about more evidence. The Sanhedrin had plenty of evidence. We've already gone through this. The real problem about authority comes down to what's happening right here in my heart. Is my heart hard? Or is my heart open to allowing someone else to have authority over my life. It's the hardest decision a human being will ever make because I am full of pride. I want to be autonomous. I want to be my own person. We are raised in this country to believe that, right? I am my own man. I am my own woman. You aren't going to tell me what to do or what to say. You see, if you do accept the gospel, the good news of Jesus, then you got to lay that aside. You got to lay down what other people might think of you. And you got to lay down your pride. And you got to say, I'm going to give you my life and all that that means. A lot of people say today, I like Jesus. I think he's a good teacher, but there ain't no way I'm giving up control of my life to him. I don't want somebody coming into my life and taking over as my authority A lot of people say today, I've heard it, right? I'd be happy to be a Christian as long as I don't have to give up this area of my life. This is mine. Hands off. Not touching this. You know what we're doing right there? The same thing they were doing in the temple. We're bargaining with God. Trying to make a deal with God. I'll give you a part, but I'm not going to give you the whole thing. And Jesus says, nope, it's not how it works. You got to give me everything. And then I'll give you everything. That's the deal here. He's either the authority of your life or he's not. If he is, he demands it all. Any of you ever play sports, any kind of sport? Have you ever had somebody say this phrase to you? I own you. Oh, right? Them is fighting words. But Jesus says, hey, if you give yourself to me, I own you. It's hard. Because I don't want anybody to own me. I want to own myself. I got to set aside my pride for that. It's the hardest thing for you and me to do. But that is what he demands. I'm either going to be your authority or not. 
Aldous Huxley, author of Brave New World, noted that part of what drove him to atheism was a desire for emotional liberation in the area of his sex life. Here's what he said. We objected to the morality imposed by God because it interfered with our sexual freedom. He gets it at least. He understands, right? I'm going to reject God because I know if I accept God, he will have authority over every area of my life, including my sexual freedom. At least he's honest about that. The rich young ruler, same thing, a passage we looked at a few weeks ago, right? He comes to Jesus. What do I need to be good? And Jesus says, he knows him. He says, there's one thing that is keeping you from really knowing me. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. (laughs) He can't do it. He just can't do it. Why? Because the money was more important to him than submitting himself to the Lord. He was afraid of what that would be, of what that would cost him. But understand, giving Jesus authority means dying to yourself and letting him become the king and the ruler. As I said, most difficult thing for a human being to do, but it's what Jesus asks us to do. If you've ever been here for our baptism services, you know we have one next week. I can't wait. Best days of the year. One of the questions we ask people, we ask three questions, right? Do you believe Jesus is the son of God? Have you, have you understood that in your mind? Have you made him your personal savior from sin and death? Basically, have you received the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers to you? But then there's that third question. Oh, it's a tough one. Are you willing to let him be the Lord of your life each day from now on? What does that mean? Will you give up your authority so that he can have authority over you? Will you no longer be the king of your life, the Lord of your life? Will you let him be the Lord of your life? Listen to his word, obey him. As the father said, right, on his baptism, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Do what he says. It's easy to say that. It's a lot harder to live that out. This was a big thing for me in high school. I was dating a non-Christian girl, and I knew like where this was leading me. And so there's the moments, right, that we come face to face with. Am I going to, in my pride, say, no, I'm going to keep this area of my life out of fear of what others might think? Am I going to say no, or am I going to give myself fully to Jesus as my authority and Lord? What about you? Have you given yourself fully to Jesus as your Lord? Unlike the Sanhedrin, I'm not sure we can claim ignorance today. We can't say, well, I don't know. There's two options for us right here, right now. I'm telling you, two options. One option, if you're on your notes, is to accept his authority now and joyfully embrace it. Here's what this looks like. It's going to be a very complicated picture for you. Take the throne. You're my king. I bow down before you. You are Lord. You deserve everything. Now, why do I add the word joyfully there? Because that's what Jesus promises life with him will be. This is where like people go, oh, I got to give up my life for Jesus. This is going to suck. Oh, no, he said. In John 10, 10, my life first. This is what Jesus said. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Read the rest with me. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That can be translated abundant life, both now and forever. You truly want to experience joy. Submit yourself to me. Give yourself to me. And some of you have done that, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But some of you are going, ah, that doesn't sound like a great deal. 
And that's the other choice. Option number two, if you're following, we can reject his authority now, but be confronted with it in the end. Again, another simple picture for you. There it is. You might like Jesus. You might go to church. You might even read the Bible and pray. But is that you? That's the Sanhedrin. That's Aldous Huxley. That's the rich young ruler. That's many people today. Now, if you're wondering what I mean by we'll be faced with it in the end, I'm thinking about Philippians chapter 2. Some of the most powerful words about who Jesus is and his return. In fact, I have it on your notes there. Can we read these words together? It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I wonder how many of you here know about Jesus, respect Jesus, think you understand Jesus, but you've never bowed to Jesus as Lord. Have you done that? Have you surrendered to the king, the ruler of the universe? Have you set aside your pride and fear once and for all and said, you can have it all. You can have it all. Whether you have or haven't, this text mysteriously tells us one day everybody's going to do that. Whether they chose to or they didn't choose to, Jesus is Lord. And if you're following, all will one day submit to the authority of Jesus. And here's the deal. You can do that now by your own choice, or you can be forced to do it someday against your will. Like verse 9 says, every knee will bow. Do you believe that? Look at your knees right now. They're going to hit the deck. We're going to hit the deck when Jesus reappears in us, right? Every knee will bow in heaven. Interesting, every saint will bow down before Jesus that's gone before us. Every angel will bow down to the glory of Jesus on earth. Every person who is living now, they'll bow down to Jesus. But even more mysteriously, it says everyone under the earth. That's a symbol for where? Yep, the bad place. Essentially saying every demonic spirit, including Satan, will one day bow down and recognize his authority. We've already seen this happen in Mark's gospel. Now, I used to think what this man as a kid is like, oh, of course, once they see the glory of Jesus, they will willingly bow down their knees to him. That is not what this is saying. We're told in Isaiah, I'm not going to use the verse, but people are going to be forced to their knees. Those who raged against him as Lord will be still bowing before him at the day where he takes up his kingship. They might be gnashing their teeth. They might be shaking in their fists. But he is ultimately going to show he is the authority of this entire world. He will let them have their own way. Even though they had the evidence that they had, he will let every person have their own way. But they will all recognize who he truly was at one point. Then we come to the climax of this text. Every tongue will confess. What are we going to say together? Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the name he was given as the incarnate God. It means the Lord saves. Christ is the Jewish word for Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. Lord. Yahweh. Jesus Christ is God. So here's the question. 
especially if you've never trusted Christ, submitted to his authority, what's holding you back? Is it pride? Is it fear? Are you worried what it might cost you? Have you not been given good enough answers to the questions you have about Jesus? That's a good place to be for a time. It's okay to ask questions. We're glad you're here asking questions, but I'm just telling you at some point, you've got to come to a decision. You can't be like the Sanhedrin and say, well, I don't know. I don't know. The evidence is here. He is the one who could calm the world with a word, the creation with a word. He could raise people from the dead. He can heal diseases and sicknesses. Can you lay aside your pride this morning? Can you lay aside your fear this morning, your uncertainty, and get down on your knees like we're all going to do, we all need to do, and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's the good news. You can do that right now. You don't have to go through hoops. You don't have to be a, a good person. You don't have to do all kinds of crazy religious activities. As we learn in Romans 10, 9, I have it on your notes. Let's read it out loud. Here, here's what it takes. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. And he gives you that opportunity right now. So let me ask you the most important question of your life. What's keeping me from submitting Jesus to Jesus as Lord? It's so sad that many people say no to this invitation. But if you'd like to say yes today, let's bow our heads and pray together. Jesus, we are in awe of you. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, and forever you reign. And if I have any friends in the room this morning that are recognizing that they've just never submitted themselves to you in that way, I pray that you would remind them of the incredible news that even right now they can declare with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. You are Lord, Jesus. And believe in your hearts, in the gospel, the good news of Christ's death and resurrection and the forgiveness of sin then they will be saved. For those of us who are hanging on to pride, as the man prayed earlier, the father in, in Mark, right? I have faith, help my unbelief. For those who are struggling with fear and what this might mean, give them courage. And for those of us who have made this decision, at some point in our lives, we're reminded again today, just as we say at baptism, right? I believe that you are Lord, and I will make you Lord each and every day of my life. That is so hard to do. But we once again resurrender ourselves to you, recommit ourselves to you. What areas are we holding back from you? As we prepare for communion, we simply sit in your authority for a moment. And we speak to you how we need to. And we listen to you how we need to. Help us to have eyes to see you and ears to hear you now.
now as we remind ourselves of the good news, the gospel, we're grateful we get to take communion together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.